the typical kind of book launch was that six months before the book is released, you start promoting it and you reveal the cover design to your audience and you do all these pre-promotional things before the book is ever even released. And to me, it just didn't make any sense because it's like, why am I marketing something? Why would I spend time or money advertising a product that people can't even buy yet? Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, where we delve into the stories of successful entrepreneurs so you can discover what's possible. Today's guest is Tom Corson Knowles. Hi, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey interview with a new friend of mine, Tom Corson Knowles, who came into my world recently via email, uh, actually looking to interview me about my sort of publishing story. And uh, after that concluded, I had a good chat with Tom and found out he's got some uh, really interesting entrepreneurial story of his own, especially around the world of uh, book publishing, which is something I'm personally interested in because I'm still working towards becoming more of the traditional published author uh, sort of pathway, I think, which a lot of entrepreneurs head down, especially if you're an expert. But Tom's done a lot with Kindle uh, and also for other authors. But I'm going to let Tom tell the the full story of what he's achieved and, and how he got there. So, Tom, thank you for joining me today. Yara, it's great to be here. So, uh, as we were saying off air, I was uh, going to say your claim to fame myself, but since you kept saying various things, I figured you should give us a little bit of a synopsis of, you know, what, what you've done and what you've achieved in terms of the kind of raw numbers. Yes, yeah, so uh, when I first self-published my book, I think that first month I sold like 11 copies without telling anyone in the world what I had done because I was so embarrassed I had to self-publish it. But that moment was a light bulb moment for me because I realized, look, if I can sell 11 books without telling anyone in the world what I had done, imagine what I could do if I treated this like a real business. And so that's what I did over the next couple of months. And uh, 10 months in, after my first book was published, I had my first $12,000 a month just from Kindle ebook royalties alone. And since then, I've you know created a, online training courses for writers and authors uh, with over 60,000 students. And I also started a book publishing company, actually a traditional book publishing company, and we sold millions of books since then. How many books do you have to sell to get 12000 a month in Kindle royalties? So back then, I think it was, it was a little over 5000 So I was earning about $2 royalties for a book. So they were sold at mostly a two ninety nine price point. Okay, so it's definitely a, a volume game if you're if you're going down that route. So at the two yeah, the book business is, is definitely a volume business. If you don't have the volume, it, it's hard to really make it successful. Right. So, uh, what was the, the topic of that that first book? The first book is now called Rules of the Rich, uh -huh. and uh, it was I basically never never intended it to actually be a book. Um, so I was in college at, at uh, business school. And my classmates' dream was to go to Wall Street and become investment bankers. Like everyone in business school, that's what that was what their dream was. And you know, to me, working 100 hours a week in a cubicle doing work that didn't make a difference in the world seemed like my nightmare. And so I just started writing this book. Um, really, just uh, opened up a document on my word processor and started writing what I thought it actually meant to be successful. You know, to have financial freedom, but also to have good health and good relationships, and to do meaningful work, and to, and to have a sense of purpose in life, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really what the book was about. It was about how do you become successful according to your definition of success, instead of just according to what your parents think is success or what society says is success, or so forth. Okay, nice. And how old were you when you did that? So I was 19 when I started writing that. <laughs> that's amazing. Certainly the early days. So uh, let, that's a great point for us to continue from. You were 19 in business school, and uh, you obviously signed up for that course with an intention, but it sounds like maybe the course direction didn't align with 
your own personal goals or what 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 was your intention with that degree honestly i didn't really have one so uh i, I just knew i was going to go to iu because it was the biggest state school and it was a great school um and i really didn't know what my major was going to be uh, i had no idea what i wanted to do but i knew that like their business program was like their their most kind of esteemed program so i just put business on the application because i didn't know what else to put and I happened to get a full ride scholarship because I had really good grades in school. So <laughs> that's how it worked out. But I really didn't have any intention of, at that time, of actually going into business. Were you planning to figure it out somewhere within those years of studying? Was that the goal? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I was just kind of going with the flow at that time in my yeah. life. Yeah, I was the same with, with my studies. Okay, so uh, obviously the, the, the publication of this first book must have given you some direction and some sort of feel. So take us forward then. If, if you published that, I'm guessing you would have been maybe 20 or something when you actually published that first book and then made those mm -hmm. 11 yeah. sales. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no, actually, so um, so when I wrote the first book, it took me about two years to actually turn it into a book because I, you know, I shared it with friends and family. From, um, and they said, you know, you should really get this traditionally published. And so it took me a, a couple of years to like get the book finished and to get the book proposal ready and start actually pitching literary agents and publishers. Um, but I failed miserably. I mean, six years of trying to pitch my book to publishers and agents, and I, I didn't get anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I actually decided to self-publish because after six years of kind of banging my head against the wall, I was like, well, that, that route clearly isn't working for me, so I'll just try something different. Which is when you went and looked into uh, self-publishing. Exactly, on Amazon, yeah. So you must have been well and truly graduated by then. Yep. Mm -hmm. Did you? Yeah, I was 24. So did you take a job after graduating? No, so I started a couple other businesses in the time. So um, around the time I started writing that first book, I started a, a network marketing business and direct sales, selling nutritional supplements, and built up a team of a couple hundred people and, and pretty good uh, income from that. So by the time I graduated, I had basically a full-time passive income from uh, network marketing commissions. Uh, so I kind of just <laughs> retired almost for two years. I mean, just started some side projects and traveled around the world, um, but uh, didn't really have. I, and then, so then around the time, uh, a couple months before I, I published the book, I started a business that uh, basically failed <laughs> really bad. I, I raised a bunch of money from investors, a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, and it was just not a good business venture. So I kind of had mind, to uh, just sharing what the topic of that business was. Yes, yeah, so um, so I went to a seminar. I, went, I was the kind of a seminar junkie as well. So I went to a bunch of different personal development seminars, and one of the speakers there was uh, had become a billionaire um, by uh, in, in the in the loans industry. So he's basically buying delinquent credit card loans uh -huh. and then collecting them, basically using a different um, philosophy of collection. So instead of like trying to yell at people and and you know pressure them and force them to pay, it was more about you know how can we work together and how can we help you get your finances back in order. And so it was a much more kind of congenial, kind, caring way to help people uh, deal with their credit card debts and actually get their debts paid. Um, so I, I was attracted to that model because I thought it made sense to you know go into this really corrupt industry and do things in a better way. The problem was that we just didn't have much leverage. So when we were negotiating these deals with the banks to buy their their delinquent credit card loans for pennies on the dollar, we couldn't go to the bank and say, well, give us you know give us a 10% discount, right? Because mm -hmm. we were just so small, we didn't have enough capital to really to really negotiate with them. So there's just a lot of things in that business that were beyond my control, and I think that's one of the reasons why it failed is because. If you're in a business where you can't improve, you know, your revenue or you can't reduce your costs, you're, you're kind of stuck. It's more like an investment than a business really at that point. So, um, so that's one of the reasons why it failed. How did you decide when the time was to actually shut that business down? Well, because of the nature of the business, um, you can keep collecting on the loans for, for many years. So it actually took like six years to kind of shut it down. Wow. <laughs> uh, so it did take quite a while. 
Um, but, uh, you know, so each month we were still getting some cash flow. It just wasn't really enough to pay back our initial commitments to investors. So I had to kind of pay back some of our investors through my own money earned uh, in other businesses. What, what an interesting combination of experiences. So like almost like the easiest money, you're, you're the top of a, a network marketing company and making some good commissions there or, or downline income. And then you switch to another business and it sort of you know, doesn't go as well. And so you tasted both sides of the, the entrepreneur path. And this is all before you're 25 by the sounds of things. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And then this book finally gets published when you're 24. Uh, take us forward from that point. Yes. Yeah, so at that point, I, I was, you know, it was kind of coming off, licking my wounds from from the debt company that didn't work out so well, um, and realizing that I didn't really want to spend more time in the network marketing business just because I didn't want to be on the phone all day. It doesn't really fit my personality as an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a lot of free time, and so which was great because as soon as I saw I had 11 sales with that first book, I realized, hey, I'm I'm just going to keep writing because I love it. I love sharing my message. I love helping people and inspiring people to make their lives better. And so every morning I would just get up and I was just so inspired to write. I mean, I'd wake up at 4, 5, 6 a.m. and just write most of the day and then spend the afternoons working on marketing and, you know, building out my blog and building out my uh, online marketing campaigns to actually promote the books. So that's really what I focused on for that first year. And so that first year I published, I think it was around 10 or 12 books. Uh, and one of the reasons is because, you know, I've kind of been a writer, like a closet writer my whole life. So when I actually went to my hard drive on my computer, I had 12 manuscripts for different books that were mostly finished or half finished or maybe just barely started. Uh, and so when I saw that kind of, uh, I had this opportunity now to, to publish my books on Amazon and actually get my message out there and actually make money during that process, it became a no-brainer for me to go back to those older projects and say, hey, let's actually get this finished. And so it gave me that kind of extra inspiration and motivation to get the job done and get my message out there in a bigger way. So that's what I was focusing on that, that first year. Those books, because most people listening to this are probably thinking 12 books in one year or even two books in one year, that's ridiculous. But uh, we, we're talking like, we're not talking the latest Harry Potter type book here. We're talking more like smaller personal development, finance type books, which are selling, I'm guessing, around that two ninety nine price point. Is that right, what you did that year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So my books uh, at that time all ranged from about 40 to 50 pages to 150 pages. So they're definitely on the, on the shorter side. Some of them are called short reads. You can read them in 60, 90, uh, 120 minutes. And then the 150-page books are kind of more of a standard, a little bit on the shorter end, but kind of a more standard um, nonfiction type self-help kind of book. And how do you sell a book like this, especially when clearly Amazon has become very crowded with that type of book? Can you maybe take us through you know, what you found that worked, especially during that early period where you were brand new to this? Yeah, so, so I mean, back then, six years ago, Amazon wasn't really crowded, uh, especially for nonfiction. Um, so there was a lot less competition. Um, but also, the competition that existed was basically from traditional publishers, right? And And so... In the traditional publishing world, I'm sure you've read a lot of self-help books too, Yaro, like, and I read them all the time, but you know, you can read like a 350-page self-help or nonfiction or motivational book or a book on marketing, and honestly, that book could easily be trimmed down to 100 pages and be just as good, right, and be just as actionable content and advice. Um, and so that's kind of was what my philosophy was when I was writing those books was, hey, I love self-help books, I love business books, I love marketing books, but I don't want to read 400 pages of, of fluff to get to the 100 pages of good stuff. Right. And so when I was writing my books, it was all about, okay, who is my reader and what's really going to help them? 
So for example, I've got a book called Destroy Your Distractions, which is all about how to get rid of the distractions in your life so you can focus on what really matters to you and be incredibly more productive, more happy, and have less stress, right? And so that book is all about actionable ideas to get rid of distractions and focus on what really matters to you. And so it's only, I think, you know, 50, 60, 70 pages, something like that. Um, so it's short, but it's actionable. So every single chapter is short, it's to the point. It makes uh, it makes the ideas really clear, and then has action steps at the end. So you can say, so you know exactly at the end of the chapter, here's what you're going to go do. And if you actually go and apply those practices and apply those habits, it will improve your life. Um, and so that's how, why I created those books because I actually want to help people make a difference. And I know that you know attention spans are getting shorter because of the internet. And so I just saw this opportunity to make shorter books that would actually make a bigger impact by getting straight to the point. And it's also kind of just my personality. I mean, uh, I'm straight to the point. Um, I, you know, I, I don't belabor ideas. I don't, I'm not some, a writer who's trying to you know, use big words and be long-winded. I really just get straight to the point. Look, if you want to improve your life, here's what you do. Boom, boom, boom. Do it or not. It's up to you. So how do you actually spend an entire year marketing so many different books? Because I can imagine it's hard enough to market one book, right? And even though these are short books, so maybe it doesn't take as long for you to produce them, the marketing process doesn't get less involved when the book is shorter. You still have to build an audience and, and get customers. But was it a case maybe back then that you literally could just publish it on Amazon Kindle and, and purely through search in, within Amazon, you'd actually you know make sales or did you have to do way more than that? So, yeah, it's more complicated than that. So, I mean, what I really did is I focused on the 80-20 principle, right? So 20% of what you do is going to produce 80% of the results. And this is especially true when it comes to marketing. And so instead of trying to do – so, like, the typical kind of book launch process that, that started maybe – that has at least been around for 5, 10 years or more – was that you know six months before the book is released, you start promoting it and you reveal the cover design to your audience and you know you do all these pre-promotional things before the book is ever even released. And you know to me it just didn't make any sense because it's like why am I why am I marketing something? Why would I spend time or money advertising a product that people can't even buy yet? Right? It just made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, and so my strategy was totally different. Was I would write the book. I would, I would get it published as fast as possible. And when it was published, I would start promoting the heck out of it, right? Um, and it just made sense to me, like if I'm gonna build an audience and I'm gonna get people to buy from me, I better give them like a buy button to do it, right? I better give them a, a product that they're gonna love and enjoy. Um, and so kind of switching that, that, that book launch process around to instead of marketing it before it's released to just marketing it when it's released, I think it made a lot of sense for me. So it's definitely saved me a lot of time and energy because I didn't have to delay the publishing schedule. I didn't have to come up with some brilliant, innovative strategies to get people interested in something that wasn't actually available yet. All I had to do was release the book and send out the link through my blog, through social media, and so forth. Uh, another another um, book promotion strategy that really helped back then and still is very valuable today are using book promotion sites. So there are actually hundreds of book promotion sites now um, that can sell books for you. And the biggest one by far is called BookBub. B-O-O-K-B-U-B.com, and they can sell thousands of books for you in a single day. Uh, now, the problem with them is that they're very hard to get into. But there's lots of other book promotion sites um, that will promote your book to their audience, and usually their audience of email subscribers. So they're actually getting great open rates, and they're getting people who actually want to buy books like yours. Um, so that's another great way to kind of get traction with your books. But the other thing, too, Yara, about the publishing business that I think a lot of people don't understand is there is a lot of luck involved. And... 
Uh, I think a lot of people in the industry kind of keep that as a secret because they want to say, oh, I've got a book that sold, you know, 100,000 copies because I'm a genius, right? Whereas really, uh, there's a lot of genius that goes into writing a good book, but you could have 10 good books or 100 good books and only a handful of them are actually going to sell 100,000 copies or more, right? Um, so by publishing lots of books and writing lots of books and promoting lots of books, it was kind of like, you know, being in a startup phase of a business. I got to try out lots of different strategies, see what works, see what didn't work, see what kind of books resonate with my audience and see what kind of books didn't resonate with my audience. Um, and so by trying more things and by publishing more books and, and by going through that whole process so much faster, I basically got five years of publishing experience in one year, right? Whereas what a lot of authors do is they take five, 10 years to write a book, never publish it, and they don't really have any experience in marketing or publishing a book, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think that's one of the, the keys to my success as a publisher and in business in general is that I've tried lots and lots and lots of different things as quickly as possible and I continue doing what works and I stop doing what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you really had a almost like a, a startup mentality around your first year of publishing. Let's keep producing these almost like MVPs. You could call each book and each marketing campaign a, a minimal viable product test to see what it takes to produce a successful book and sell one, more importantly. And because you cr created so many books, you kept going through the process and then learning your craft. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that, that, that's kind of like a, a different mentality to maybe the the more romantic viewpoint that I think a lot of people have about book publishing, which is, you know, you publish or you work on a book, kind of like what you said before, you, you write one book for several years, and then uh, it, it just through the, the, the quality of the work itself, it shares through word of mouth, and you've got a bestseller. And I think we can all agree that that's a very rare situation, and it's a lucky situation, like you said before. Um, Com compared to say maybe your strategy here, which was like, well, I'm going to sell books and I'm going to keep selling more books until I figure out how to sell the most books, or at least how to make you know the full time income. I'm assuming that was your your goal in that first year. Uh, so, does you kind of I guess have a almost like a marketer uh, mindset or an entrepreneur mindset and less of a book author mindset? Do you feel back then, even though you clearly loved writing? Yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely uh, a good analysis for sure because, you know, when I compare myself back then to the kind of average author, average writer, I'm much more business minded, much more marketing minded, much more straight to the point, um, much less about inspiration than about actually um, finding out what my audience wants and giving them what they want, right? So that's that's always kind of been my focus in business is, is who is my customer? Who is my audience? What do they want? What are their problems? How can I help them? How can I serve them better? And then how do I create a product that serves them better than what anyone else is doing? Right? And then how can I do that faster? How can I do that better? And so forth? And how do you improve that process? So, um, you know, I love to write. I love the English language. I love words. But at the end of the day, I'd rather actually help people make a difference than write a book that people say is really well written. Because I, I don't care. Like, I don't care about those you know, you know, I don't care about being a good artist or being a good writer. I care about helping people improve their lives, mm. right? That was my mission. That was my message. Um, and so I was just really crystal clear on the way I'm going to do that is by adding as much value as possible, writing as many books as possible, and then, you know, finding out what works for my audience and then keep doing that, keep giving them more that's going to add more value to their lives. I can see how becoming a publisher and helping other authors was a natural path for you because it makes sense for 
you know, maybe someone who, who cares about their book uh, from a, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer and I, I, this is my baby point of view. And then you bring to the table, well, that's good, but we have to also treat this like a business. But before we even talk about your publishing company, can we go forward? So you've had this first year where you released the, you know, the 10 or 12 books and you've also reached that point where you've had 5,000 sales a month of these Kindle books to bring in $12,000 a month in income. Uh, what did you do next? Was it, uh, you know, more books were you thinking by then or what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the next year, so year two, I wrote another 10 or 12 books. So I think by the, the end of year two, I had between 20 and 24 books published. Um, and I also, in year two, I also started doing a lot of ghostwriting. So I was actually hiring ghostwriters to write books for me under pen names. And so we wrote, I don't know, probably a hundred of those in, in a year or two. Um, but I found out really quickly that that was not something I wanted to keep doing because they were lower quality books. I didn't have the time to really put the quality control and the editing on them that, that they needed to be really good books. And it was a short-term game. You know, I started looking in the future and saying, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, are people still going to be wanting to buy these, these cheap, you know, cheap ghostwritten books that don't really have a lot of value in them? And the answer was no, right? So... And at the time, I had a lot of friends who were doing ghostwriting books, and still to this day, you know, they've got hundreds or even thousands of books they've published on Kindle. Uh, and I just saw back then, early on, that that was not going to be a long-term strategy for success. And so that's when I started to double down on my own books. And that's also that, that year I started taking on publishing clients as well. So that's when I started TCK Publishing. We started taking on a few clients that were mostly like friends or folks I knew on social media. Um, and started actually publishing their books as their publisher and testing out that process. Okay, could you take me through the first client you took on with your publishing company, uh, TCK Publishing, and, and just how did you, uh, you know, decide to work with them? What did you do for them? What was, you know, what were they wanting from you? What were you looking for them? How do you financially do this? Like, what do you take an upfront fee or a cut from sales or both? Because I think there's a lot of people listening to this who just don't have the experience of working with a publishing company. And, and, you know, your first client, obviously you didn't have that experience yet either. So I'd love to know how it sort of started. Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I don't remember every single detail of the deal, exactly how it was, um, but I'll give you the best of my, to my, best of my recollection. So um, my idea was basically we would self-publish books for other people the way I self-publish my own books. Right. So I wasn't trying to be a traditional publisher at that time. I wasn't trying to get their books into bookstores. I was just trying to replicate what I'd done with my own success for other folks. Right. And, and at that time, it was basically just publishing on Kindle. Uh, I, I didn't get into paperback publishing until a couple months later and then audiobook publishing for, for about a year or so after that. Um, so it was just ebook publishing uh, on Amazon Kindle with KDP Select. So we were exclusive on Amazon Kindle so we could use their special promotion programs. Uh, and so it was a pretty simple process. The process of actually publishing the book was basically they would send us the manuscript. Um, if they needed editing, I would say, hey, let's go, let's get you an editor. And they would have to pay for the editor um, to, to, to get the book ready to publish. Uh, and then um, we just, I just, you know, I would create the cover design. I would help them with their book title. I would help them write their book description. Um, you know, I would get all the marketing materials together. We would just open up a new uh, Kindle publishing account for them. I would publish the book for them, and then we split royalties 50-50. Um, and I think at the beginning it was free. So I didn't charge any upfront fees at all because I was just like, hey, uh, just you know, let me publish your book for you. We'll split royalties 50-50 straight down the middle. Uh, you don't have to pay me anything, and we'll take care of it. Um, 
And so I think that was like the first handful of clients, like five or six clients I did that way for free. And then what happened is it kind of started to take off and we started getting a ton and ton of submissions. And lots and lots of folks basically wanted me to publish their books because it was they didn't didn't, didn't cost them anything and we were paying 50% royalties. Um, and at that time, it was just me and my virtual assistant working. So we didn't really have like the manpower on my team to handle all those submissions. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, hold it. I gotta, I've got to kind of scale this back a little bit. And so I, so I started a, a $500 one-time fee at the beginning. So they had to pay me $500 one time or the publishing company. Um, and then we would pu- do all the same work, publish their book on Kindle uh, and pay them 50% royalties. And so that kind of made the business more manageable. So it kind of weeded out the people who weren't really interested in success that weren't really invested in their own success. Um, and, and the funny thing is, you know, about a year ago, we made a complete switch back from there. So we went back to no fees. So we're now a traditional publisher, a traditional press. We don't charge any fees, but we still pay 50% royalties. Um, so it was kind of this is the learning journey that I went through, learning process to see what kind of worked. Um, and the reason we went back to not having fees is because when we don't charge fees, we go from being called what's a vanity press or a subsidy press to being like an independent press or a small press or a traditional publisher. Um, and so as a kind of traditional publisher, we're allowed to submit our books to industry reviewers um, who can do great marketing for our books. There's all kinds of other promotional opportunities we get as a traditional press that we just don't get as a vanity press or self-publishing kind of company. Um, so that's you know most of what the journey was, but but there was a lot of stuff obviously that happened in between that kind of changed how we did business. Yeah, yeah, no, interesting. I didn't realize if you are charging an upfront fee, you're a vanity press or a self-publishing, and that, I guess, doesn't make you as significant in the eyes of uh, places that matter maybe to people who want to get into the big bookstores or get reviewed by the top reviewers. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, then, most of the biggest publishing houses in the world, they never charge up front. They would do the opposite, wouldn't they? They like give you a contract where you're going to get some money up front to the author, uh, the, the, the traditional um, you know book deal. Uh, and, and that's kind of the model that you want to pursue because you want it to be up there and considered a proper publishing house. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, I, I mean, it's very complicated, but basically most traditional publishers will pay in advance. So they'll pay in advance on royalties. So they might say, hey, Yara, I'll give you $10,000 to publish your book. You can cash that check right away, um, but you have to deliver the book on this schedule. And if you don't deliver the book on the schedule, you, you know you have to give us the money back. Uh, and then those are basically royalties in advance. So mm-hmm. basically they're saying, we're gonna pay you the money you've already earned in the future, we're just gonna pay it to you early, right? And they pay you usually eight to 12, or maybe 15% royalties, whereas we pay 50%, right? So they're paying you significantly less royalties, uh, but you get the advance up front, and then you don't actually get money from royalties. So if you sell your first, <coughs> excuse me, your first 10,000 copies of your book, you're not going to earn any money from that because they've already paid you those royalties in advance. Mm-hmm. After you sell out those first 10,000 copies or earn that first $10,000 in royalties, then they'll start sending you royalty payments, right? right. Um, so that's kind of how that royalty structure works. Going back to the, the the first clients you took, do you do you remember some of the topics that you help people with get to get published? Yes, so there's a lot of books on like self-help, um, stress, health and wellness, fitness, um, mostly nonfiction at that time because my books were nonfiction, so I kind of became known as a nonfiction publisher, although today we do a lot more fiction as well. Mm-hmm. Now, with that model of, of only paying a royalty and not taking anything up front, 
to me, I understand why a big publishing house will do that once they're established because they, they've got confidence, right, track record, and a team, a big team probably of publicists and uh, you know, marketing department or at least something. Uh, you were doing that model when it was you and a virtual assistant, which to me sounds kind of almost a little crazy, but you obviously were confident in your ability to sell other people's books, ultimately using the system that you came up with. How could you be so confident when you took on so many different types of subject matter that you would be able to put in the work? Because I'm assuming you have to build a website for them, maybe a landing page to start building their email list. You have to maybe negotiate with some of those book uh, publishing newsletters to try and get those books circulated and, and start drumming up some sales, create the cover, set up the Kindle page. There's a lot of labor there before you get any pay from these clients. So you know, how did that model even potentially work from a financial standpoint, especially when you were just starting? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. So I think one of the things that does is really important is to understand the risk, right? And so the risk for me to take on a client where they didn't pay me anything, but we split royalties 50-50 was just the cost that actually took us to, to produce and publish the book, right? Um, and since the client was paying for editing at the time, um, basically all we had to do was cover design, uh, formatting, which we did in-house, like super easy to do um, because we learned the process uh, of how to actually do that. Um, and so really our only hard cost was for cover design and then marketing and those costs were low, they were manageable. So, you know, my risk for, for basically publishing one book was back then maybe like a hundred dollars, $200. Um, and so, you know, I could afford to publish, you know, 10 books a month and cover, you know, the cost of a thousand, $2,000. And it was, you know, it was like 10% of my income or so. Um, just from my own book sales, so it wasn't really a big risk, right? Just, to take just on time, a lot I of think, books. would be the the bigger risk there. If you you know, okay, it's a thousand bucks a month for ten books, but uh, you know, you've got to coordinate with your virtual assistant, you got to coordinate with these clients. So there's a lot of time you're putting in. Like you, you must right. have been confident that it was going to work uh, most of the time. Yeah. So I mean, I definitely I was, um, but I think also I had the mindset of like I'm, I'm in this to learn and to grow. Right. So, so Jim Rohn talks about, you know, when you set a goal to achieve a million dollars, for example, don't set it to achieve the goal, set it for who it will make you become in that process to achieve that goal. Right. And when you take on a job, don't take on the job asking, what am I going to get here? Take on that job asking, who am I going to become here? Right. And so I realized that as a publisher of other people's books, I was going to learn about other niches, other markets. I was going to learn about, more about marketing and promotion. I was going to learn more about how to work with clients. I was going to learn more about the business I was already in, right? So even if I just broke even in that business, or even if I lost money, I would still be learning some really valuable lessons that I knew would make me money, more money in the future, right? And so again, I think it kind of goes back to having that long-term mindset, which I think is especially crucial in the publishing business because, you know, as the author of a book, you own the copyright for your work in the U.S. 75 years after you die. That means you're basically guaranteed income as long as Amazon exists and you have a book that people want to buy. You're basically guaranteed income for 75 years after you die, which means you can pass it on to your kids, your, your grandkids and your great grandkids. Right. Um, so that kind of long term guaranteed revenue stream was very, very attractive to me. And I realized even when I was 24 
that I was going to be earning money for my books for the rest of my life. Um, and that anything I could do to improve that by 1% or 2% was going to produce huge returns long term. And so I really went into that with that learning mindset, that growth mindset of, okay, I'm just going to learn as much as I can and do the best job I can. And even if it doesn't work out, I'm going to learn some skills that will absolutely pay off long term. Okay, so let's go forward. And I, I'm, I would like to know maybe today, especially because I'm, I'm your potential client here. So, you know, next year I'm thinking of publishing a book. But uh, after listening to your what you've said so far in this interview, um, it's kind of interesting. I, I almost feel there's two pathways. And this is great to talk about with you because I think you, you're the perfect person to answer this. So I'm a blogger and I've written a lot of content. And like like you were in your younger days, I had I have uh, you know a bunch of work that could easily be turned into books. Plus, I've got one particular book that you know was meant to be my I guess my my flagship book, my book that's supposed to put me on the map, be a bestseller, or at least that would be my, my big goal with it in the traditional publishing sense. But now I can see there's two ways I could do, or, or even both, which would be to go the volume route and just take a lot of my content in my products, in my blog posts, just in my writing over the years and look where I can put together 5, 10, 15, 20 books, uh, which I think I realistically could do. Uh, or, and, uh, work on this one book, make it amazing, and then do, you know, the, like you said earlier, the big campaign, try and line up a whole bunch of podcast interviews, maybe hire a, a publicity agent who could get me on the radio, on talk shows, um, do, like you said, do a pre-launch for it, where I set up a landing page, and I'm um, re- slowly releasing information, like, here's the cover, here's the title, this is where we're at now, a traditional uh, product launch formula style campaign. And I think certainly in more recent years, you know, we've seen guys like Tim Ferriss talk a lot about the the book launch campaign as well. So I feel like they're, they're two different pathways because I don't think you put in nearly as much effort into marketing when you're going to release 20 books. You're going to market them all to get them all selling, but you're not going to try and, I guess, change the world on mainstream media with each of those books where hopefully, you, you know, if you're aiming to have the next four-hour work week or the next Harry Potter or the next, uh, you know, whatever genre you want to come up with, uh, Think and Grow Rich, um, whatever, then you're looking for, yes, a bit of luck, but also you're going to put a lot more effort into just really pushing that book forever. So uh, let's just say, you know, you're advising me, Tom, which you can, (laughs) totally on this podcast. What would you suggest I do? Yeah, so great question. So, you know, my, my mindset has really shifted on this since I started. So when I started, I thought, you know, the best thing was to publish lots and lots of books, short books, um, and then learn really fast. And I think that was the best thing long term, but it wasn't necessarily the best strategy um, for long term success, if that makes sense. So in other words, if you want to sell lots of books, it's actually better to have one really great book that people love and talk about and share than it is to have 10 books that are kind of mediocre, right? Uh, and the reason is because the number one reason people buy books today is word of mouth, right? And so if you if you have a book that people love and they read it and they talk about it and they share it, that is the number one reason people buy books. And so you can spend as much money on advertising and promotion and marketing as you want, but if you don't have a book that people love with like four and a, four point three stars, by the way, is the average on Amazon. So if your book is rated below four point four stars, it's not an above average book. 
right? So your book has to have like 4.4 stars or plus over at least like a 50 review average of not people who aren't your friends, just complete strangers who read your book, right? You have to have the kind of that, that high quality kind of book to generate consistently word of mouth sales um, and to stay at the top of Amazon's algorithm. The other thing about books these days, Jaro, is that either you're at the top of Amazon's algorithm or you're not, right? And so if you're at the top of their algorithm, you're earning 1000 a month, 5000 a month, 10000 a month or more from royalties every single month, basically forever, as long as it stays there. If you've got a good book with high quality reviews and word of mouth sales, it's going to stay there, right? Um, so that's kind of our goal as a publisher these days is we want to get our clients' books to the top of the algorithm. We have to get really great books to do that, and then we have to get some smart marketing campaigns behind them to do that, right? And so um, I think it's much better to have one book at the top of the algorithm than to have 100 books that aren't, right? Because you're going to earn a lot more money, right? So that's what my focus would be, you know, advising you is, you know, can you write a book that people are absolutely going to love that's totally unique um, and maybe not unique in the sense that it's a topic that no one's ever heard of before, but it's got your unique voice or your unique message or a different way of sharing it that really resonates with your audience, right? And so I think that is the crucial thing to long-term success. Um, now, you know, the difference between going with a traditional publisher versus kind of self-publishing or going with an indie publisher like us is really with traditional publishing – the timeline is so long now. So if you get a traditional deal like today, uh, which wouldn't happen because you have to write the book proposal first and then pitch that to a literary agent and then get a literary agent and have your agent sell that to publishers. So, But if you got a deal today, it would still take you about two years to get your books on the shelves, right? So that's a really long time, uh, especially in the internet age, right? And so for, for folks like you, Yara, who, who say, I want to go the traditional route, I say that's great. By all means, go for it. And during that process, for someone like you with so much content, I would absolutely still either self-publish or indie publish another book in the meantime, because you're going to get to market so much faster, and you're going to learn a ton through that process, and you're going to start to build more fans and more readers before that big traditional release date. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, and, and I, I can see where you're coming from. You know, you've got the put yourself on the map book, uh, which you're going to pour your heart into in terms of quality and production value and marketing campaign uh and like you said it's probably one two year process and, and potentially forever if you you know keep working on it uh versus the i know i've got lots of potential good books in my archives uh i'm gonna do some self-publishing i don't necessarily want to get super famous for these books but they will potentially be nice income streams to add to my business so you know why not use another channel in terms of self-publishing with amazon and and other areas, which leads me to my next question then. Um, you know, let's say, and, and let's do both sides of the fence. So if there's a listener today who's thinking, you know what, this guy Tom seems to really know what he's talking about, and I love his model of, you know, 50-50 uh, paying royalties only, um, which I assume that means you have a fairly tight uh, application quality control process because you're not going to say yes to just anyone. Uh, when, if I was coming to you and I said, Let's do both sides. Let's say first, okay, I want to make a world-changing release of this book. Would you take me on as a client? And if so, what would be kind of like the strategy around that? And then we can flip it and say, let's say not necessarily world-changing book, but the, you know, the, the more self-publishing cash flow source book. Yeah, definitely. So, so we do a lot of publishing for folks like you, Yara, who are, who are total influencers, right? So 
you know, folks who have a blog or a social media following or, or some kind of following online, they understand online marketing and usually have an email list of like at least 10,000 subscribers, right? And so we publish a lot of books for folks like that and do really, really well for them. Um, and so the first thing I recommend with them, but with any client at all, the first step uh, when you're going to write a book or when you've already written a book and you want to publish it, the, the, the first thing you have to do is really market research, right? And this is where a lot of folks just, just fail because they don't understand the market and they don't spend the time to understand who is your reader and what do they really want, right? So the easiest way to do this is, is to find what's called comps, comparable titles on Amazon. So it, let's say you're writing a book about how to start a blog, right? So you'd go to Amazon, you type in how to start a blog, you know, blogging books, how to be a blogger, related keywords, and you'd find all the best-selling books on Amazon right now that have to do with blogging and with your market, right? And once you create this big list of comparable titles, um, then you're going to go through and you're going to start to study them. So you're going to look at the titles and the subtitles to see, you know, what what are they calling their books? What do the titles say that their books do? Reading their book descriptions, seeing how are they getting readers to actually buy the books once they look, land on their page on Amazon. Studying their book covers to see what the typical book cover looks like. And can you design something better or a little bit different that will stand out? Um, and then... You want to go through the books, and especially for nonfiction, you want to read the table of contents to see what is covered in the book, what is the breadth of the book. And then you want to read like the first one or two pages of the first one or two chapters to get a feel for how are they drawing readers into the story or into the book, into the content, um, and how are they making it interesting you know, from the first page. And if they're not, then you know, don't model that book. Model the book that actually is really interesting from the first page, right? Um, and then the most important thing is what you want to do is you want to read all of the reviews on Amazon for those comparable titles, all the reviews from one star to five star, everything in between, and you want to have a notebook with you, and you want to write down all the common things readers love about those books and all the things readers hate about those books. And you're going to read tens of thousands of reviews. That's what you want to do, right? And so you can do it in a day or two. It does take uh, time, but <laughs> ten, it's ten thousand in a day it. or two. That's ambitious. <laughs> yeah, because most of the, a lot of the reviews are really short. Okay. Right. Um, so it, it doesn't take you a ton of time. It may be, I mean, like you're talking like 10 to 16 hours, okay. right, um, to read the reviews, right? So so it, it's a, you know, it's two days full of work, right? But it's going to be so worth it because you're, when you're reading those reviews, you're finding out who are your ideal readers, who is your audience, what do they actually want, what are the words they actually say, right? So especially if you're a nonfiction author and you're finding out, you know, what keeps your readers up at night what their biggest problems and concerns are, what their biggest worries are, what they tried before that didn't work for them, what they tried that did work for them. When you start to get all those, all that feedback, all the insight, I mean, that's like more research than, than most folks can get about their audience in five years, 10 years of doing business, right? And you can get that in two days on Amazon. So even if you never publish a book, that information will pay off huge for you because you'll, you'll get a clear understanding of who your audience is and what they really want. But then what you can do with that information, now you have this big list of what readers love and what they hate about the books in your market, then you can kind of compare those lists to the book you're planning to write or the book you've written, and you can make edits and changes and improvements to your book and to your content to make sure you're including all the things readers love and that you're not doing or you're finding solutions to the things that readers hate about those other books in your market, right? So it gives you the huge big picture and also the micro picture of the market of exactly what your audience wants, what they've tried, what didn't work and so forth so that you can craft a book that it, people are going to talk about, right? Because why wouldn't they talk about a book that solves their biggest problems that have been kept keeping them up at night for years, 
right? It, it's a no-brainer that they're going to talk about that if you do it right, if you execute on that. And the other thing it does is it gives you insight into where the opportunities are in the market, right? So you start to see gaps in the marketplace. You start to say, hey, all of these problems have not been addressed by any of the books out there in the world yet. My book can address that. It can be the first to do it and provide this unique value in the marketplace. So that's how you go from writing a book that's just, oh, it's another book on blogging. Great. To, wow, that book took me from zero to six-figure blogger in a couple of years, and I never would have done it without that book. right? And so when you can get I, those uh, kind of results, that's what market research does. It allows you to produce massive results for your audience by understanding your audience better. That sounds very similar to what I tell people about choosing a, you know, a topic for a blog and, and you know, finding what your market wants. Now, I'm frequently asked, what about a fiction writer? Uh, blogging isn't always a great option for fiction, but obviously a book, that's the primary platform for publishing fiction today. Is what you're saying here still applicable for you know, a person who wants to write fantasy or sci-fi or thriller or uh, you know, horror as a genre? Absolutely. So there's some slight tweaks. So you're going to go through that exact same market research process, you know, the, looking at the titles, the subtitles, the comparable books, the book descriptions, the first one or two pages. But then when you're reading the reviews, you're going to read all the reviews as well. Instead of looking at, you know, what are the problems your audience has, uh, what are their biggest issues and so forth, you're looking at what are the scenes that they, lo that they love? What are the characters that they resonate with? What are the storylines that they really enjoy? Right. Um, so if you're reading, you know, the, the reviews on Harry Potter, you're going to learn about what characters do they love, what characters do people not really resonate with as much. Right. What are the characters that people mention all the time? Right. And then what is it about those characters that people mention? Right. So you start to kind of get this view of, of what your readers love and what they don't love. But it, it's just slightly different perspective on it. But if you go through that same process, it will absolutely help. Um, and I know that process is called uh, kind of people call it like writing to market. Um, which basically means you're writing a book that people actually want to buy, like a main genre book that people want to buy. So, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, in fiction writing, like like writing multi-genre books. So it's like, you know, they'll say, well, this book is a thriller, mystery, historical romance with vampires and time travel. And it's like no one's going to read that book because it doesn't fit into a genre. And a genre is basically a set of expectations that readers have. Right. So if you read a crime thriller, you know, in the first chapter or two, there's going to be a crime. Right. And if you read 10, 10 chapters into a crime thriller and there's no crime, that's not a crime thriller. Right. <laughs> right. So the genre is a set of expectations. Like when you go into, you know, a Tom Cruise action movie and there's no explosions in the first half hour or there's no like death or like running or chase scenes or there's nothing fun going on. You know, you're going to be really disappointed. Right. Um, and so the way you write great fiction is by understanding the genres, understanding your audience and then writing a book that fits into a genre, so it fits that set of expectations people have, but does it in an unexpected way, right? But that makes a unique story out of the common themes that make great stories. Got it, okay, that's fantastic. And I think all the fiction uh, and nonfiction authors love to hear the differences, yet the similarities of a research process there. And it sounds like Amazon is a gold mine of data for, for new authors. Um, Going back to the two different types of books there, it, to me, what you just described, it really fits both. It feels like you could do that process for a cash flow smaller book versus the I want to change the world and be super famous book, either kind of book that research is going to really help you uh, create a great product. Um, 
let's take it forward though. Let's say, uh, you know, I, I've done that and um, I'm going to work with you. Now, you obviously have some criteria too. So how do you decide who you work with? Is it just if you've got 10,000 subscribers on your email list, then that's enough because you know you can make the money back or make enough money from that person's current platform, that current audience, or are you looking for more than that? Yeah, so for every 100 books that are submitted to us, we only pick like about three or four to publish. So we do have pretty tight editorial standards. So the first thing that happens is, you know, you go to our website, you check out our submission guidelines, you'll submit your manuscript, our team will review that, and then if you actually meet the kind of books that we publish, we'll send your manuscript to our editor, and our editors will go through and actually provide a free sample edit for you. So they'll actually go through your book and start pointing out, you know, typos and grammatical errors. And, you know, uh, if you're writing fiction, they'll point out places you can improve point of view and certain certain things that are common mistakes that folks make. Um, for nonfiction, they'll assess whether, you know, you're, you're an expert in your field. Um, are you writing a book that's actually unique and different from everything else that's out there? Or is it just another kind of Me Too book? Um, and so there's a lot of different, there's a big checklist that we kind of go through to see, is it, is the book even up to our standards? Does it need development editing? Do you need to do like five more rounds of revisions? Do you need to add more content or so forth? Um, so there's that process we go through to kind of just review just the book itself, right? So not looking at you as an author, just looking at the book, does the book meet our standards or not? And if not, you know, here's what you need to do to meet our standards, right? And so most of our emails that we send back to clients are, here's the edits for your book. Here's our recommendations. You know, if you if you improve the book to meet our standards, you're welcome to submit it again and we'll review it again and see if it might be a good fit to publish it then. So that's kind of the first round of filters, just is the manuscript meet our standards or not? If not, here's what to do to improve. Um, and then the second filter, which is actually the most important one, is who are you as a client and do we want to work with you, right? Um, you know, this business is very hands-on. Like We're gonna spend a lot of time on the phone together, talking about your project, talking about the market research, talking about marketing campaigns, um, you know, reporting results to you, you know, talking about promotional opportunities and so forth. So we're gonna spend a lot of time working together, emailing back and forth, going back and forth on edits and cover designs and all kinds of things, right? Um, so since we spend so much time with our clients, we wanna make sure we're actually gonna enjoy that, right, as much as possible. Um, because I have worked with a handful of clients that just weren't a good fit for me uh, or for our company. Um, and I don't want to kind of repeat those past mistakes, right? So, so we have really clear values of, you know, integrity. Um, we want to work with people who are curious, who love to learn, right? So if you're the type of author who says, well, I know this all already. I know everything already. There's nothing to learn. Yeah, you told me to do, you know, to build a website and to, you know, build a squeeze page and to send emails to my list, but I'm not going to do that because I know everything already. That's not the type of client we'd want to work with, right? So there's kind of those two filters is, you know, is the manuscript up to our standards? And then is this a client, someone who fits with our values, who's really willing to learn and to grow? Um, because that's really what our focus is. So the way we set ourselves apart from other publishers is we invest heavily in our clients. So we provide one-on-one -on -one coaching for you. So if you're stuck, like, I don't know how to build a website, Tom, like, we'll walk you through that process. If you don't know how to build an email uh, autoresponder series that actually converts new subscribers into sales for you, we'll build, we'll build out that process for you, right? So we invest so much time in helping our, our clients build their platform and build their audience that we want to make sure someone's actually going to capitalize on that long term. Right. So some, someone who's like committed long term to what they're doing. So someone who just writes a book as a hobby and says, oh, I wrote this book. You guys want to publish it. I don't really care about it and I don't really care about my readers, but I just want this book to be published. That's not a good fit for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want people who want to make an impact long term 
and who are committed to long-term success because this is a long-term business model, right? So when we sign on a new client, we're not just saying, oh, great, we're going to sell a bunch of books for you in year one and then never talk to you again, <laughs> right? It's more like, great, we're going to build your business and year one is going to do fine and year two is going to do better and year three is going to do better and better and better. So we have this model called never stop promoting. So we never stop promoting good books and good clients, right? Um, we will just keep promoting year after year after year. And if you actually look at our best sellers sold over over 50,000 copies now, um, that book, um, you know, the first year and a half, I think it sold like 2,000 copies or 3,000 copies, like really small. And then 18 months later, it sold 40,000 copies, mm. right? So it wasn't until 18 months in that it really started to take off. Because again, we have that model of never stop promoting. Because that was a client who he didn't have an audience, he didn't have an email list, he didn't have a platform, right? Um, so we had to build that up for him from scratch. And so that's, because we have such a long-term mindset, we want to make sure that the client is someone we want to work with long-term. Now, I think it's a good time for those people who are listening, if you do want to check out uh, your website, uh, Tom, because obviously you talked about submission processes there, and um, you can find out a lot more about what you guys do at TCK Publishing. So uh, tckpublishing.com, that's the, the best destination for them to check out right now if they want to learn more about what you do. Yes, absolutely. And you can check out our submission guidelines at tckpublishing.com slash submissions. And it walks you through everything we're looking for in the process. Uh, we also do have a uh, free training course that actually walks you through what it takes to become a full-time author. So if you're someone who's been writing before or you're considering becoming an author and you actually want to earn a full-time income from royalties, that course walks you through what it actually takes to build a sustainable business from royalties over the next two, three, four, five years. So that's at tckpublishing.com slash FTA, which stands for full-time author. Mm, great. Okay, interesting stuff. So uh, just to wrap up the call, Tom, what do you do today? Because obviously, you know, you started off as a sort of a network marketing entrepreneur, and then you had another business that didn't go so well. And it seems like from that point forward, your life has been around books and publishing. And I, I, I get the feeling that you still love it because, like you said earlier, you spend a lot of time working with authors as running this business. But when you say that, are you the one still on the phone with the authors or like what is a day in the life of, of Tom now? Yeah, so so we have uh, eight employees now and we're growing pretty fast. We're, we're hiring about one every month or two. Um, and so I do, I do still do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with clients. Um, probably in the next year or so, we'll hire an actual coach, full-time coach to come in um, and handle a lot of that process for us because we're just getting so many clients and so much growth right now, I can't handle it all. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, the CEO still wearing a ton of hats, still being the manager, you know, hiring employees, um, training our team, but also doing, you know, a lot of the, the coaching calls and marketing strategy for our clients. So I'm kind of the big picture guy. Um, <laughs> you know, I think as we kind of grow, when we get to the point where we have like, you know, 14, 15 employees, I'll probably have to hire kind of a COO or chief of operations to kind of handle, you know, HR and employees and training and more of the operations process. Um, but for now, I'm wearing, you know, many hats and, and you know, kind of being that full-time entrepreneur. Mm. And, and where do you want the company to go? What's in the future? So our goal, our vision is to become the, the number one publishing company in the world for books. Um, so I think we've got a long way to go, but that's what we're doing. So everything we everything we do is we're, we're asking ourselves, how can we make this better for our clients? How can we help our clients earn more income 
get to their goals faster? You know, what can we do that, to make it better for our clients? Um, that's really our focus day in and day out, right? That's our mantra. What can we do to make this better for our clients? Um, because I think if we have successful authors, there's no way we're not going to be successful long term, right? You know, assuming we can actually keep our costs sustainable and so forth, right? I think it's a, a big problem with a lot of other traditional publishing companies where they just they just have so much waste, right? They spend a lot of money on things that don't matter instead of spending, spending money on things that really count and really matter. So that's our focus is just how can we add more value to our clients? And every day we're just coming up with new ideas and new ways to do that. Okay, interesting. I'm kind of curious given your goal there, your ambition to be the number one uh, publishing company in the world, where do you see the disruption happening right now in the traditional publishing or publishing in general world? Because I think it's it's fair to say books was probably the first uh, disrupted industry when the internet came along. That being said, it was a while before Amazon and Kindle sort of became a thing, right? Like I think MP3s with music might have been the first uh, disrupted mainstream industry. But right now, as we record this, what what do you see is making a company like yours uh, be so disruptive? What are you doing differently compared to traditional publishing? Yeah, so the, I think there's three things that we do that combined really make us stand out. So number one, we pay 50% royalties like we talked about before, um, which in and of itself isn't a big deal, right? So, so what, we pay six times more royalties per sale like if we don't sell enough volume, it's not really gonna make a difference for our clients, right? Um, so we pay a lot more royalties per sale, we just have to make sure we have enough volume, all right? So number two is we provide amazing marketing campaigns, right? So I've been doing online marketing for 10 years. Uh, I've had a lot of experience with it. We, we've marketed you know, 400 plus books now. Um, and I really get what it takes to actually build a platform online, right? Because I've done it for multiple businesses now and multiple clients, and so, we really focus on how can we create assets for our clients? They're gonna grow their business and keep sales coming in for their books year after year after year, right? Um, and then the third thing that sets us apart is we provide tons of free education and coaching for our clients, right? So we're really invested in their success. So it's not just like we provide great marketing campaigns for you know the book launch and then they never hear from us again. Like they're constantly getting ideas and tips and education and information to help them improve what they're doing, right? So we regularly review our clients' websites to say, hey, you know, here's two things you could do to improve conversions on your website. You should do these things, right? Here's you know, three ideas for getting better results with your email marketing campaigns. Here's, you know, five interview uh, ideas we have for you. You can go get on these podcast shows or, you know, do guest blog posts or, or things like that. So we just spend a lot of time helping our clients hone in on what are their strengths um, when it comes to marketing and, and what are the things that they, they can do for marketing that they actually love to do and don't feel like work for them. Right. Because a lot of folks talk about like, you know, Twitter, for example. Well, yes, yeah, some folks have made, you know, millions of dollars on Twitter. But I know there's a lot of people who just hate it, right? And, and they could spend all day, every day on Twitter and not get results and not enjoy it. So we really work with our clients during that coaching process to find out what are their strengths that they love to do for marketing that they can do day in, day out and not feel like work so they can actually get results from it. So, for example, if we have folks who love speaking, like we'll get them booked on tons of podcast shows. We'll get them uh, all the setup they need to record a professional YouTube videos to get a following on YouTube. Like we'll help them maximize their skills for marketing so they can create long-term results and not waste time trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. Because we've already proven it, right, with, with our own business 
And with so many of our clients now, we've shown here are the, some things you can do that will get you sales for your book. Um, you know, which of these things do you actually want to do, which would be fun for you? And then we'll walk you through the process to actually do that and coach you along the way to make sure you do do that so you actually do create success. Mm. So it's a long-term game, right? No, it doesn't happen overnight. But I think that's what's really going to set us apart from everyone else is that we go so much further than just we're publishing a book for you to we're building a business for you. Here's how it's done. And we're going to make sure if you want to that you follow up and actually get it done. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's a real partnership model, which uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how you scale this over time, because I think that might be the the trick, obviously, you know, the real skill there is to keep being able to offer that level of intimate support as kind of like a coach slash business partner uh, and start doing that for lots and lots of clients. But that's another story, I'm sure, Tom, that one day we might interview you about in maybe five years' time when your company's a lot bigger. So uh, before I wrap it up, anything else you want to add for the uh, for the listeners? Now, I would just say, you know, whatever it is you want to do with your life, just, just go for it. Just go all out. You know, I'm writing a new book now, um, and it's about, you know, you only have one life to live, right? And um, it's true, like, you, you only get one shot at this life. And I don't know if some people believe in, like, multiple lives or past lives and things like that. And that's great if they exist. That's wonderful. But you still only get to live this, this life once, right? And so I would inspire you to, to, to make it count. You know, don't wait for your dreams to come true. Don't wait for your goals to come true. If there's something you really want to do with your life, just go out and do it and make it happen. Because life is really short and really precious. And there are no redos, right, as far as we know. So make today count, go after your dreams, and don't give up. Very inspirational advice there, Tom, to end uh, the podcast with. Uh, thank you for breaking down. I feel like we, we kind of covered your story as a secondary item to really your advice on book publishing. And I that could be my fault because I'm so interested in the subject, but I think it's also clearly something that the audience will really value. So I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, tckpublishing.com and forward slash FDA if you want to opt in to learn about becoming a full-time income earning author. Tom, thank you. Good luck with the future of your business and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Yaro. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Yarrow. If you enjoyed this episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast and you'd like to receive an email every time we release a brand new interview as well as receive a series of the very best EJ podcast interviews from the archives, then I recommend you go straight away to Interviews Club. That's interviewsclub.com. Enter your email address there and then you'll be signed up to receive all the latest podcast episodes as soon as they're released. You'll get an email direct to your inbox. That's interviewsclub.com. Thanks again for listening. Oh, 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 oh,